Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. It's a brand new episode of the Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Here's what's coming your way today. The city of Chuane runs out of money and unions run out of patience. Then how Joburg's crumbling inner city is just one example of many failing city centers across the country. The fire hazard of a lot of these buildings is obviously the real threat, but it goes beyond that. It's people are living in inhumane conditions, and how do we fix that? And we turn our attention towards hope as we reflect on unity, determination, and the Rugby World Cup. But first, a recent letter issued by the National Treasury has led to major unions calling proposed cost-cutting measures reckless. Planned austerity measures include a hiring freeze, stopping the advertising of new contracts for all infrastructure projects and reining in public wage increases. But as Daily Maverick Managing Editor Janet Hurd explains, none of this is set in stone. So a recent cost containment letter issued by the Treasury raised alarm bells for many as government is seemingly intensifying cost-cutting measures. Government quickly tried to allay fears, saying that we're not in trouble, our economy is fine, our budgets are fine. But honestly, should we be panicking? You know, we're building up to the medium-term budget policy statement, which has now been confirmed to be the 1st of November. So in one way, it's inevitable that we're going to have this sort of lots of messaging and mild panic in this build-up. Because yes, there's no doubt about it, South Africa is in a very tricky financial situation. Everyone knows that. So I suppose in one way, the timing is right to be feeling particularly extra panicked. But it's not healthy to panic. So we need to try and take a look at things. And I think that's what government is doing. But in so doing, they're also giving mixed messages. I think the bottom line is that there are going to be cuts. And I suppose the big question is how it will be implemented and who's going to be affected. And I think that's still a bit of a battleground. I don't think that's been established 100%. But the inevitable is going to happen. There are going to be cuts. And I think there's going to be a lot of unhappiness around that. The reason for the budget cutting, the urgency, is to pay the 350 rand social grants, which is a very basic level of trying to alleviate people's hardships at this time in South Africa. It is very sad we've come to this, that planning, I think it's been poor financial planning. I think load shedding has had one of the biggest impacts. But the government is, you know, they've said they're doing trade-offs and they're working that out. There's talks of 80,000 jobs that can be cut from government, which the unions are saying is insane. I think in the build-up to 1st of November, hopefully we will get some clarity. I'm sure a lot of people will kick hard against some of those measures because clearly we have now reached a point where we have to make some very dramatic cuts. That is clear. It cannot be at the expense of jobs and the poor. And if jobs are redirected, that's one thing. I think there is an understanding of the need to, the cabinet, for instance, is bloated. So there is a good argument to reduce the size of the departments, which is one of the suggestions that has been mooted, although this would not come out of a medium-term budget policy statement. But 
I think that there's lots that can be contained and it's just what they decide to contain. I sat in on a briefing with the new DG of Treasury with Duncan Peterson last week with SANEF that SANEF arranged. And it was his introduction to the media because he took off only a few weeks ago. It was really interesting listening to him talk and tackle the issues that he was confronted with. What made it heartening, the whole conversation, although there are such serious challenges and he wasn't running away from them at all. But he did say that he really has been encouraged at the caliber of people and leadership within Treasury and in other departments to try and resolve the country's problems. And that is one of the things that gave him hope. And I think that is something we need to hold on to at this time. There are some really formidable people who can make a difference and are trying to make a difference in this, what they're calling the reconfiguration process to close wasteful programs. So let's hope that we have strong leadership here and also not knee-jerk responses. It's great to know that we have people in those positions who are able to take a very calm approach but also be honest about what's really happening and what we're facing. Yes, Lazan, the DG was calm. And often people, as we know in finance, do have a very unemotional response to things which is necessary. He was actually at the airport reporting from his phone. You know, it shows his determination to actually get his message across, regardless of his commitments. And although he wouldn't discuss the what we're all calling the spear meeting, where all the specific cuts were mentioned, which have not been made public. But he did discuss issues in a sort of conceptual response. So Mm -hmm. trying to give a little bit of an idea of the, there's no doubt that wasteful programs are going to be closed, what they're describing as wasteful programs, because spending is too high. If you spend too much, you've got to find the money. That is where there's a lot of tension, where unions like Kasatu have come up with an alternative to cuts. I mean, they're very angry and they said there are other ways. And obviously this question of a VAT increase, which is would really hit hard. They've come up with a series of alternatives. And I think a lot of their suggestions do make sense. And one of the things that Kasatu has requested is just to intervene at Transnet, Metrorail, look at additional resources, and just deal with the issues that are hampering South Africa in terms of expenditure. Against this is load shedding. I mean, yeah. load shedding is one of the biggest forces of where we're sitting today. It's such an indicative of where we are. You know, we're sitting on a red alert stage now for the next 52 weeks. And I was about to ask you, what were some of the conversations around load shedding at this session with the DG, especially now that whispers of stage seven started cropping up and you've just mentioned the red notice issue. Can you give us a bit more insight maybe into what Treasury's outlook is on load shedding? There are going to be various reports. I think we should get some clarity on the sort of ESCOM reports that are in the works to actually see how things are going to unveil there. But he did make it clear that there is capacity for alternatives and to really get those alternative sources rolling forthwith. I found it really an interesting figure that, and this is not from the DG's office, but it highlights what's actually happening is that South Africa quadrupled its solar panel imports from China in the first half of 2023. And this figure amounts to nearly the generation capacity of one single power station. But we should be obviously looking at our own methods and our own sustainability. And I think this is where the real challenge is from Treasury. And I think there's a bun fight, as we know, between the different departments and with different responsibilities. So I do think Treasury have got the rational response and are looking at ways. And I suppose it's also whether 
the pressure from the political side of things to actually be able to do what they need to do to try and steer the country on a path of more stability and hopefully growth. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Treasury as well. You know, there's a lot of political pressure. And I think in an election year, it might be tricky for Treasury to be able to implement the measures that they need to, to make sure that we can actually get back on track. The city of Johannesburg has been making headlines for all the wrong reasons in recent weeks. From the devastating fire in Marshalltown that left at least 77 people dead to the Bree Street explosion, there's been an increased focus on the crumbling metro. But the city of Chwane has been fighting a war of its own. It's been fending off the fallout of a nearly two-month-long civil servant strike as municipal workers demand an already agreed-upon 5.4% salary hike. But what's a city to do when there's simply no money? On to our next story, and there's been a lot of focus on the Joburg inner city in recent weeks. However, it's not the only city buckling. Chwane is also in a state of chaos. Chinese problems have been really building up and in fact have been for years, as we know, with, with lots of administrative and political problems and funding problems. And it has come to a head. I mean, the strike by Samu has actually been on for weeks now. And the impact of that strike alone on a city like Chuani, which is the second biggest metro in Gauteng, it kind of has, I just feel like a, if you're living in Chuani, you must be very aware of it. But I'm not sure that the rest of the country has really taken notice because we've been so pummeled by so many different dramas and big, hard-hitting stories that have really overwhelmed. So that strike has been going on since July 26th, and it's all over a demand for what seems to be quite a reasonable request of a 5.4% salary increase for workers. However, the metro is completely bankrupt. It doesn't have the money to pay. So they try to get an exemption. They applied for an exemption through the bargaining council, and that's what this whole strike is about. They lost their bid, and they were told, no, you cannot be exempt. You need to come up with the money to pay the increase. And now what's happened is they said they're going to appeal that decision. And in the meantime, the strike has taken quite an ugly turn in parts with buses being torched and a lot of upheaval and quite a few violent incidents, which someone has distanced itself from, but which is actually obviously derailing service delivery in this big metro. So I think we're sitting in a very serious situation with a bankrupt metro. Um, the Chwani mayor, Silius Brink, is fighting on one hand to contain costs which in any other situation, a 5.4% salary increase, it's not an unreasonable request, but it also shows the level at which Chinese finances have deteriorated. Residential buildings in several city centers across South Africa are in a state of disrepair, posing a serious danger to thousands of desperate residents. Stemming from a long-standing low-cost housing crisis and building hijackers going about their shady business unchecked for decades, several cities now sit with ticking time bombs on their hands. So I want to take us back to Johannesburg now to focus on hijacked buildings. It's been a conversation that's been ongoing around the country. And I know Daily Maverick recently looked at other derelict buildings in Johannesburg. Can you tell us a bit 
about some of the findings from your investigations? Yes, Lausanne, we've been looking at buildings and it's an ongoing project now to look at the reality of inner city living, not actually just in Joburg, but also in Durban and Cape Town and other big metros. What what the fire did, the Joburg fire did, it actually just, it was a bit of a wake-up call, not only for Joburg and not only for government authorities, but I think for the public and people generally realizing, my gosh, if it can happen there, maybe it could happen elsewhere. And how do we avoid that? So with that in mind, Daily Maverick has been looking at, and I think anyone who has an interest in what is actually happening and trying to prevent disasters, you know, safety bodies and NGOs who have always been casting light on this, I think it's a wake-up call for everybody. We actually have to fix the problem. It goes beyond just 80 Albert Street. There's a difference between hijacked buildings and what we're calling illegally occupied buildings. And I think that's very important. Hijacked buildings are when extortionists have taken over. That's how we understand it. When basically poor people are held to ransom and are thrown into incredibly difficult living conditions and they are being extorted and paying money to criminals. And then there's illegally occupied buildings, which are just vacant buildings that have been abandoned, whether they're provincially owned or city owned or privately owned, and basically have been taken over by people who need housing and are also living in incredibly precarious conditions. Some housing buildings are quite well organized and are functioning quite well, even though they're so-called illegally occupied. They actually function. There's organizations that are involved, like in Cape Town, there's a group called the Reclaim the City. They work with communities to try and keep a stability and from not allowing these criminal and other elements from basically taking over. And we've looked at a lot of buildings in Joburg and in Durban now, and we've also got some Cape Town buildings coming up because the fire hazard of a lot of these buildings is obviously the real threat, but it goes beyond that. It's people are living in inhumane conditions and how do we fix that? And what is the responsibility of government to provide low-cost housing in the cities? But it does seem to be that in Joburg they don't have the answers, that all their plans have not actually come to anything and that there isn't really a will to to provide the low-cost housing in the cities and we've seen that in Cape Town as well. It's very slow. In fact, very little has happened. So I think this is the question. This is where we need to go in terms of looking at solutions, that there could be another Albert Street fire elsewhere in other cities. People are living in incredibly difficult conditions and the government has a responsibility to try and provide opportunities and housing for people in the inner city because that's where people want to live. That's where there's work. That's where they congregate. And I think it's poor planning across the sectors, across the three-tier government planning. I'm wondering, it's a little thing, but the census, you know, the census gives us figures for all planning and all budgets in the country, for everything that happens in this country in terms of who's moving where in the population. And now we're very late. The census should have been out, I think, in March, the results. It was hugely impacted by COVID. And that's still not out and it's September and we've got an election around the corner, which is also dependent on figures about who's living in South Africa, where the population groups are. And that determines budgets and planning. And I do think our planning is poor across mm. parties, politics, it doesn't matter. And we're not providing for the influx of people into the cities. And why are we not providing decent quality, low cost housing in the city centres? From the minty Springbok jerseys to surprise victories, the Rugby World Cup serves as a welcome distraction from the many difficulties we face each day. But it also reminds us that uniting behind a common cause is possible. We also look at an ongoing Daily Maverick series that's bringing a glimmer of hope to SA's growing list of troubles. 
I want to take us to some happier news, and it's the Rugby World Cup, and we're all enjoying the chias around it. I loved Daily Maverick's recent piece on how our support for the box are a clear example of how we can come together behind a common cause and that we can fix what is broken if we just unite. And I know these sentiments are all a bit cliched to many, but it's important for us to be reminded of these concepts because especially in a time where it feels like we're just up against so much. I really, really love that piece. Absolutely, Lizanne. I think sport just brings people together. I mean, it's fantastic to see, you know, even in the newsroom, you know, I have to be honest, the conversation kept on as a distraction going to the Springboks outfits, the Peppermint, Craven A and Aquafresh kit. <laughs> because we're all looking for diversion, we're looking for distraction, but little nuggets around sport can actually turn into such conversation pieces. It's the one thing that brings people together. But in terms of the actual game, I mean, I'm not a serious rugby watcher, but it's so good to engage in the game. And I have found little devices just to make sure that I stay interested by joining like a Super Brew bid to actually mm. get interest in the game, you know, to watch the progress because we're going to be with this till the 28th of October. It's such a wonderful diversion. It's so full of incredible stories as well. And watching the world stage come together, all these countries that are often full of conflict come together to play a game. And South Africa is just so good. Our Springboks are looking fabulous and we all want to get behind them. I think it's one of the sports where we don't have to have a second alternative team that we support because we are, you know, we're in the running. And the upsets that come out of rugby also, like it was incredible to watch for a non-sports watcher. And it's so good to just go behind South Africa and the box and cheer them on. And then just to close things off, and I'm keeping it positive, all this talk about getting behind a cause. I've also been really loving Daily Maverick's Blueprint for Recovery series written by John Mattison. It's an eight-part series in which he will take an in-depth look at solutions to issues ranging from illegal mining, construction mafias, xenophobia, the SANDF, so many other issues, and of course, service delivery collapse. And it sounds very negative, but he's brought such a hopeful perspective on it and kind of this framework that he introduces on how we can address these issues in a practical way. And I've just been loving that because it really just changes the narrative a little bit. This is how we can fix what is wrong with the country. John, you know, being a veteran journalist and actually having experience in policy making in the country, I mean, he was with the SABC board. He really does have a nuts and bolts focus besides a journalistic experience. So it's been very interesting how he feels we can fix South Africa. You can see in, even in the style of writing, he's not wasting any time. (laughs) When you read it, you know there's a sense of urgency and I think that's part of a tactic of his to get on with it now. And I think it's interesting that writing style that can be used. But his premise is that if we don't fix it, political opportunists will tell us it's the constitution's fault because we have such a good constitution. And then he says, in power too long, power goes to people's heads. It can happen to anyone. We must rediscover our North Star before it's too late. And I think he's right because we do have a great constitution. We've got all the frame work is there to really succeed and flourish. And then he goes on to unpack the different things that need to be the priorities. And he says, nothing tells the story of priorities gone haywire so well as a comparison of the budget allocations to VIP protection versus the budget for the Hawks. He says, you guessed it, to project about 200 VIPs, the budget is 3.76 billion. To protect 60 million South Africans against priority crimes undermining the state, 
citizen safety and the economy, how much? 2.2 billion will do. So that for me sums up where we have gone wrong with spending. How can that be? And he's quite provocative. I mean, he says close down the state security agency. He's not beating around the bush. There'll be people who argue with some of his solutions. But yes, he's showing that it can be done. But is anybody listening? That is the big question. Will anything be taken from it? But I'm certainly looking forward to the rest of the series. Janet, you know, I always love chatting to you. And today's been no different. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. And I really hope we get to do this again soon. Thanks, Lizanne. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. <laughs>